0: Aaron has led us through uh, we've we've been doing this series uh, and it, and last week it culminated in Acts chapter 2 which we looked at the story of Pentecost and I don't know about you guys last week was just incredible uh, Pentecost was a time that unleashed the explosion of the missional church of Jesus Christ and I love that Aaron pointed out last week that the main reason that God sends his Holy Spirit is to fill and empower his people, so that we can join him in the renewal of all things. And we're going to continue to talk about that today. The next few chapters of Acts, if you continue on after Acts chapter 2, you see that the church started to just explode in incredible ways. God's people were filled by his Holy Spirit and they took the gospel to the nations. Um, And the Apostle Paul was a big part of this. And today I want to focus in on Uh, Some of the most incredible stories in the work of the Apostle Paul, which are found in Acts chapter 16. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 16 today. Uh, And we're going to observe how God takes situations and people that don't make logical sense and uses them in ways that they never saw coming. And God does that for us as well. God is a God who redirects, he surprises, he bewilders, he gets our attention one way or another I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite things to do in life is to scare people. Anybody else like to scare people? I love to just, oh, you really do. Okay, awesome. I love to freak people out. I freak my kids out all the time. They now are constantly nervous. Like, my kids are going to have problems growing up uh, because I'm always, like, behind a corner. Just, I, I will wait for... Full on hour to scare my kids, like I will be in a position to scare them. My wife has been nervous our whole marriage uh, it's It's not healthy. Um, I love scaring people uh, and uh, the problem is I really don't like it when people scare me. like I get really mad when people scare me so i can't I can dish it out, but I can't really take it. Uh, just recently, I was jogging in the park. I was in a part of the green belt where I love because nobody else is ever over there. It's kind of like Maryville's best kept secret. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Uh, I love it because you go in like literally farmland and, and nobody's there. You might see a stray biker or two. And so I'm in the zone. I'm doing my thing. I think nobody's around and I just zone everything out when I'm running. Sometimes I spend time praying and I, it's, it's like my time. And all of a sudden, this guy on this absolutely silent bike, and he must have been like 80 years. Years old, but he was in incredible shape, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the zone, I'm doing my thing, all of a sudden he is right beside me, and here's what he said, on your left, and he said it so loud and in such a creepy voice, and I jumped really high, like really high, like I'm an Armstrong, if you know anything about the Armstrongs, like I played basketball my whole life, but I could barely dunk, even though I'm six foot five, uh, we, we are not known for being jumpers, I could have dunked on a 12 foot goal when that guy said, on your left, I mean, it freaked me out so bad. And so I did two things. The first was, because uh, I'm very prideful, I looked around to make sure nobody else was around that saw what I just did. And the second thought, the second thing was a thought that went through my head, which was, I'm going to go over, I'm going to catch up with that guy, and I'm going to push him over on his bike. I'm going to knock that guy out, because I, I hate it when people scare me. I just hate it. And then I thought, ah, I work for a church, probably shouldn't do that, um, God surprises us all the time. God often, he, he often surprises us in order to redirect us. He does it in ways we didn't see coming. And I don't know about you, but when there is change and surprise in my life, I normally don't care for it too much. I, I'm not a big fan of change. I've had a lot of change in my life. Um, in fact, I get downright argumentative with God when change comes around. When God tries to redirect me, I can I can give a lot of pushback. You guys know couples, and, and maybe some of you in the room that are constantly arguing about stuff. I'm kind of that's kind of my relationship with God. You ever been around a couple that that like they've been married for a while and they're just kind of and they'll say things like, uh, you know, oh, you remember when that happened? That was six days ago, and the other will say, no, it was five days ago, and they'll go back and forth over something that completely doesn't matter. I was on a train ride overseas recently, and there was this American couple that, uh, well, a, a, a family of four, and they were on vacation. And you could tell that the husband and wife just constantly argued. And I mean, i was with them for five minutes. I was sitting a few seats behind them, and they had two young kids, maybe like eight and ten years old, and the couple was just back and forth arguing about everything, and their kids had their headphones on. Uh, They were trying, I think, to zone their parents out, and I kid you not, at one point, uh, the lady said, it was two days ago, and then the man got so mad about it, and he said, no, it was the day before yesterday, and at that point, one of the kids took her headphones off, and she was like, Dad, that's the same thing. And the dad said, I kid you not. He said, he said, hey, this is between your mother and I. And then they just kept going back and forth. This is my relationship with God a lot of times. I know that's not flattering on my part, but I can be argumentative when God is trying to redirect me. Uh, when he, and, and when he surprises me, and even when I get scared about something that's coming up, I just don't like it. And, and, and that feels like my conversations with God. He tries to tell me something, and my stubborn nature just wants to argue for arguing's sake. Never mind the proven track record of love and faithful faithfulness that god 's shown throughout my life um, and This is especially true in seasons of life when God is redirecting me. I argue and I resist and I complain, and i don 't know about if anybody else can can resonate with that um, but that 's kind of my story, and so we 're going to look at four examples of being redirected. All of them are found in Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see a lot of characters here, so uh, you have to really pay attention this morning. A lot, of, a lot of people coming through this passage. So we'll start in verse 6. It says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. That's an interesting thing. It says the Holy Spirit had prevented them So in verse seven, then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Interesting. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And I just want to pause really quickly. Of course, that's obviously really interesting. Uh, God was redirecting, and here he did that to Paul through a vision. Side note, Macedonia, that's where Philip the Great would have come from, who, of course, was the father of Alexander the Great. So it's a very interesting region just north of Greece. Uh, Where was I? Verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. I have no idea if you say Aaron did a good job saying some of those words last week. I don't know how to say any of these. And the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. Now, Paul wanted to launch something in Bithynia. And if you know anything about Paul, he was very methodical. Paul went on several missionary journeys. Uh, Paul was probably the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Uh, The gospel spread all across, eventually, parts of Asia and and Europe. And, And a lot of that was done through these missionary journeys of Paul. And he was very methodical. He had a plan. His plan here was to go through Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit redirected him. And eventually, it made some sense because he has this vision, this man from Macedonia saying come and share with us Um, and so uh, you know we Paul got redirected to this place called Philippi and we're going to see he was redirected for a very clear reason a beautiful church was started and it was started with three very unlikely people and we're going to read their stories here in just a second Paul gets redirected to Philippi, he has to completely change his plans, and listen, based on the extreme hardships that Paul faced there, I can imagine he probably would not have chosen to go to Philippi if he knew what he was going to endure there. You're going to see here in a minute, Paul had a rough go of it at Philippi, and just a quick uh, thing to point out here, God doesn't tell us the whole story up front because he knows that we might not like it or agree to it otherwise. And so he gives it to us in doses. That's, that was Paul's thing. You know, Paul thought he had a plan. He was going to Bithynia. He got redirected to Philippi. And I think that's, I, I've seen that in my life, that, that God, I, I want him to give me the story up front. God, tell me what you want, and I'll do it. And God, a lot of times, says, no. And I get very frustrated. And he redirects me in ways I haven't seen coming. And he does that in doses, He he reveals, he unveils our stories in doses because otherwise we probably wouldn't sign up for some of the things he has in store for us. And I think that's interesting and that's definitely the case with Paul here. What we will see is that as a result of being redirected, we're going to see an incredible church being planted through Paul's encounters with three extraordinary individuals. So here's the first one. In, In verse 13, we see the first one. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. Uh, I want to pause really quickly. So every time Paul would go to a new city, a new place, he would first look for Jews. And if the Jews didn't respond to the gospel, he would then go to the Gentiles. And so Paul here was going to this riverbank because there was evidently not a synagogue, a place where Jews got together to pray and to read the word of God. There must not have been a synagogue, meaning there weren't many Jews here. So if there were any Jews Jews would have the custom of going by a riverbank on the Sabbath. So that's why Paul goes to this riverbank, and that's where he encounters this first person in verse 14. One of them, one of these ladies, was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord," she said, "come and stay at my home." And she urged us until we agreed. Now, uh, several observations about Lydia, but but here's just a really cool thing. Most scholars believe, check this out: Lydia was very likely the first convert to Christianity in Europe. I didn't know that. I was researching a little more behind this story, and and Lydia very likely, at least in Scripture, was the first European convert to Christianity, meaning the church that would be planted in Philippi and, and likely in her home, which we're going to see in a few minutes, is presumably the first church that was planted in Europe. Pretty cool, and it happened in Philippi. And Lydia was redirected from being this businesswoman that had a curiosity about the things of God to being the very person that hosted an unexpected church plant in Philippi. Uh, Lydia likely would have had some means. This, this, this purple cloth that she uh, helped to sell, that she was a distributor of, uh, would have been very expensive. So she was this middle-class, maybe upper-middle-class lady, and she had a curiosity about the things of God. She was by the riverbank. She was there to worship God that day. And many of us, like Lydia, have like, a you know, quote-unquote normal jobs. You know, we're, we're teachers, we're business owners, we're stay-at-home parents, we're students, we're managers, etc. And like Lydia, we have our work, and, and you're probably here today also because you had a genuine interest in the things of God. Like Lydia, we get to work, uh, we get it done during the week, and then we worship on Sunday. We're getting by and we're living our lives. That was Lydia's story. Her story is a lot of our story today. Um, but, but one of the reasons that God redirected Paul to Philippi was to wake Lydia up to a deeper calling, to a higher purpose. Based on what happens a few verses later, we can safely say that this church in Philippi started in Lydia's home. And if you had told Lydia, right, this, this middle-class businesswoman, that the first outpost of the church of Jesus Christ in all of Europe would be in her living room, she never would have believed you. She was just living her life, she was doing her thing, when God redirected her to a higher calling. You know, an observation about Lydia is, is, is before her encounter with Paul and before her encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lydia had a God that was useful. Uh, God fit in her work week very well, uh, helped her to feel better about herself, you know, uh, she, likely she was a good person. She checked all the boxes of what you would aspire to in a, uh, as a lady in her position. So she had this God that was useful, but after encountering Jesus, she had a God. She connected with a God that is beautiful, and that's, that's different. We see that she opened up to a higher calling, a higher purpose. There was something more, and I would say a lot of us today have a God that's useful, Uh, uh, that's often been the story of my life. It's like, okay, God checks that box and my relationship with him checks a certain box that makes me feel better. He's very useful. Uh, He's useful and convenient, often on my terms. Uh, But when God really redirects us and I, I, you know, I think last week was a beautiful example of, of, of us seeing oh, God is more than just something to check off on Sunday. A lot, Man, a lot of us last week, we encountered the presence of God, and we went from seeing a God that is useful to seeing a God that is beautiful. That's just a different, a different relationship, a different way of looking at God. And Lydia was redirected to a higher calling, and I wonder if that's what God wants to do for some of us today. Not necessarily to quit our job and and move to Timbuktu or whatever, but rather to be redirected in how we live right where we eat, work, learn, live, and play. Redirected because of a God that's beautiful and that calls us to a higher calling. That was Lydia's story. So that's the first person that Paul encounters in Philippi. Going on to verse 16, it says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, again, that place by the river, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. It was a good message, right? It's true. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. And I want to pause really quickly. You may be saying, okay, well, why would Paul... Uh, why would why would Paul stop this girl? I mean she was probably giving it was good publicity right she 's going around saying very true things, and uh, you know Philippi is probably like, "Whoa, who are these guys and, and he let it go on for a while, maybe because it was good publicity we don 't know exactly eventually he cast this demon out of her uh, and i, I there's i 've read different opinions of why he would have done this. I think you know uh, getting good publicity by bad means, namely a demon, probably finally it struck Paul, oh, this is, this is, this is not good. This needs to stop. And so he cast the demon out of her and, and then going on in verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city, oh, I lost my spot. Oh, excuse me, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Remember I told you that Paul might not have ever gone to Philippi if he knew some of the things that would happen. Stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That makes for a bad day. We saw the first person... That Paul encountered in Philippi, this wealthy businesswoman Lydia, she had this upper middle class uh, background, and, and, and that was his encounter with her. But this this slave girl was just the opposite. Just the opposite. Lydia had life going for her. She had her stuff together. This slave girl was at the bottom of the totem pole. She, she had nothing going for her. Not only was she uh, demon possessed, but she was a slave. She had masters. She had nothing going for her. She was a pawn in the game. Uh, she was at the bottom of the social ladder. And yet, God used her in a strange way to play a role in Paul having a chance to expose the city of Philippi to the gospel. Lydia. We saw was redirected. Hearing Paul share and preach, this slave girl, her life was redirected through a power encounter. A power encounter, very different. Uh, many of you know that we've we've worked in, in uh, several, a couple different countries, but but we've worked in Haiti for the longest. Uh, And our church has been very involved there. And uh, one of the ministries that we have been a part of is called Simple Church Ministries. And and we work with lots of incredible Haitian men and women. Uh, That now is a movement of, of Simple Churches that is about 1,400, mostly house churches. Some of them are bigger than house churches. They blanket the map of Haiti. And you guys have heard me talk about that before, but yet a lot of times I don't share the specific stories. Let me tell you one story of how one of those churches got started. Uh, I've told this story before, but it's been a while. Um, I was with a couple of Americans from Ohio. I was from a vineyard church in Ohio, and, and uh, they were there on a mission trip, and I was taking them around. And, and one of the things I took them to do was we hung out, we were hanging out with these young Haitians that, that I'd been walking with and training for a while. Um, and several of them were from a place called Guomon, which means big mountain, basically, in, in French and Creole. And so we were going around this area of Guamon and we were teaching them basic things how to do access ministry, how to identify persons of peace. And if you know anything about Guamon, it is a, a very rural area very superstitious, a lot of voodoo. Uh, there's voodoo all around Haiti, but this particular area is like a voodoo hub, okay? And so uh, I was taking these guys. We were walking around, a couple of Americans. Uh, I don't remember how many Haitians. We probably had like five or six people that we were training, uh, and we were basically just gonna go around and pray for pray for folks um, and get a lay of the land. At one point, I was standing with these guys and I looked around, and in the mountains and hillsides around, I saw seven voodoo temples. And you can tell from the flags they have, seven voodoo temples. I had asked some people, are there any Christians in this area? They said, man, the Christians lie low in this area. This is a dark area. Um, and so as we were going around, we finally had one uh, young person come up and said, hey, there's a voodoo priest in the area. I'm, by the way, this is going to be a really weird story. <laughs> I hope that's okay. So there's a voodoo priest in the area that heard you guys are, are around. He just wants to meet you guys. And we said, sure, no problem. So we go to this guy's compound. And uh, it's got a little house, got a big yard that has this uh, fence around it. And in the middle of the yard was this huge tree. Um, and it had all kinds of voodoo artifacts. It had, like, cards and it had, like, uh, skulls from different animals. It had broken rum bottles. It had all kinds of stuff. And there was, uh, there was a lady in the yard. It was this guy's wife. Young, pretty lady. Had a couple of kids hanging on her skirts. And we came up and we said, hey, is, is so-and-so here, this this voodoo priest? And she said, oh, my husband's not here right now, but uh, yeah, w- what is it you want? And we said, you know, we're just wanting to pray with people in the area and get to know people and see what God might be doing here. Um, is there anything we can pray for you and your family about? And she said, sure. And so she shared a few things, and we started to pray for her. And as we were praying for her, here's where it gets weird. <laughs> as we were praying for her, like when we would say certain things like Jesus, like her body would have just... Reactions, like like unnatural reactions, and and I'm gonna make this story a little bit faster because it's a long story, but but finally her body just completely gave, and she started barrel rolling across the ground, straight at the tree in the courtyard. I mean unnaturally, like her body was unnaturally rolling. And of course, what do you do? So I'm like, uh, let's let's follow her, let's pray for her. And so her body's going and going and going. And boom! She hits the tree, and a broken piece of that, of one of the rum bottles went into her leg, and just gashed her leg, and I mean, blood coming out everywhere, and she didn't stop, she hit the tree, and her body just turned, and kept going another direction, and so we're following her, and I mean, literally as she turns, blood is going through the air, and all of a sudden, she just stops, and I thought she was dead, and so we're like running over to her, and I said, I, I, I asked one of the people, hey, go find somebody who can stitch the lady's leg up, and we started just praying for her, and I mean, she's got a pulse, she's okay, and then finally she comes to, and she raises up, and she's just weeping uncontrollably, and we started praying for her, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot that happened as we prayed for her, but finally I said, hey, we're going to come back the next day, and we'd like to meet your husband. Is that okay? And she said, yes, that's okay, and so we came back the next day. And come to find out that lady had been sharing with her husband what had happened in her life when we'd been praying for her. God had been doing miraculous things as we prayed over her. And that guy said, hey, listen, I don't know what happened with my wife the other day, but what did you come to share in this area? And we told him about Jesus. And this guy ended up giving his life to Jesus. Uh, God had already used this demon-possessed lady who clearly had some, some struggles in her life, she had been sharing what God had done in her life immediately after this happened with her voodoo priest husband. He gave his life to the Lord, and we asked, hey, if we send some people here next week, could you gather some people in the area uh, to meet in this courtyard? And he said, yes, I'll do that. I got a call that following Thursday, it was about a week after we were there, 70 people from that region showed up, including several other voodoo priests, and that's how one of the simple churches got started. Pretty cool, huh? Now, now I thought about that story as I was looking at this young slave girl who had nothing going for her, whose life was an absolute wreck, and through a power encounter with Jesus Christ, everything changed. Everything changed. And look, uh, her story is so different from Lydia's. Lydia had her stuff together, and through reason and through hearing the word of God, Lydia came to faith. But that wasn't going to do the job for this slave girl. She needed a power encounter. And look, it's not lost on me that, that, that several of us in the room today have significant struggles in our lives. Things that we've been looking for, we've been looking to have breakthrough in maybe for years And when we're redirected through a power encounter with the Holy Spirit, through our Lord Jesus Christ, he can break chains. He absolutely can break chains. He's got a 2,000-plus year history of doing that. Even before Jesus came, God has been at work on planet Earth to break chains. But when Jesus came, it started happening exponentially. And we see it even today. God can break through in people's lives, and he can break through in your life. Like both of these tormented ladies that I shared, the lady in scripture and then this lady in Haiti. Like both of these tormented ladies, there are many here today that are tormented by afflictions that are unspoken or possibly even embarrassing. And, And we believe that God is still in the business of delivering people from any and all afflictions, no matter what you're going through. And he can change your life today. He delivers us not only to set us free, but as we see in both of these stories, and especially in the story I told you about Haiti, he delivers us so that we can join him in renewal. He doesn't just want to get you fixed so you can hold on in this life. He wants to change your life so that you can join in the process of renewal. It's not just the clean people that, like Lydia that have their stuff together. It's the broken that God has a long track record of using. So that's the second person that Paul encountered. Here's the third. In verse 23, they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. By the way, that was almost a form of torture, the way that they would have clamped them in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can I just pause there? (laughs) They had just been severely beaten, put in the stocks, clamped in the stocks. They must have been just miserable in their singing. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner flew off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. By the way, when he says we're all here, that means that Paul and Silas had evidently prevented the other prisoners from going out, quite possibly because his heart was for this jailer. He knew that if anybody escaped in those days, the jailer would have been killed. That's why he was going to kill himself. He knew he would die anyway, so he thought he'd preserve his honor. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer called for them, listen, and washed their wounds. That's an interesting thing we'll come back to. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, the jailer was redirected from inflicting punishments to washing the wounds of those who he had basically played a part in torturing. And here's a big point I want to make about this guy. God has a heart not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor. That's important. And that may seem backwards, it's because it is. Jesus has this upside-down kingdom that doesn't always make sense. See, God has a heart not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor. And I really want to riff on that for just a moment. The, the, The redirection that took place in the life of this jailer was different from that which took place with Lydia and with that slave girl. You see, Lydia, by all accounts, had a pretty upstanding life when she met Jesus. She was successful, she was seeking God. This demon-possessed slave girl was being controlled and enslaved when she encountered the Holy Spirit. And we can have support and empathy for lost people like Lydia and and lost people like the slave girl. I mean, we can have empathy for folks like that. But the jailer's different. The jailer was this tough, likely former Roman soldier, because former Roman soldiers would would get these kinds of jobs in in a Roman colony like, like Philippi. So he was this tough former Roman soldier who had survived in a dog-eat-dog world, and he now had this decent job to take care of his family. But in the process, he had to oversee the persecution of prisoners who were not given a fair trial. Uh, You know, Roman jails we know were, were brutal, and they were designed to break you. And whether this guy had participated in the severe beatings or not is unknown, but we know that he put them into the inner dungeon uh, which was the worst place to be, and we know that he clamped their feet in the stocks. And, and look, we can pull for the good people like Lydia, and we can have empathy for the broken people like the slave girl, but, but we want revenge and justice for the oppressor like this jailer. That's what we want. Not so with Jesus. Jesus is proof that God will sacrifice his son for both the oppressed and the oppressor. And, and, and here's where I'm going with that. There are people here today that would use that age-old excuse, God would never save me after all that I've done. Likely many of us in the room have said some version of that. Maybe like this jailer, you've been the oppressor. Maybe you've done something to hurt somebody. Maybe you've been the cause of an injustice. Maybe you have been the one who has exploited. And I have really good news today. The same God who loves and comes after the good, he also comes after the oppressed and he also comes after the broken. That same God also comes after the worst of sinners, even the oppressors. And his salvation, we know from scripture, it's for everybody. And today, if you're listening, the word of God says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means all, as in all, everybody. And um, maybe you really resonated with the first two stories, you know, with Lydia's story or even with the slave girl's story. But maybe there's some here today that just, you know, you would say, man, if people knew what I've done. And Jesus came for you. He came for you every bit as much as he came for the Lydia's and the slave girls of the world. He came for you. And, and if you're struggling with some kind of sin or if you have been the person that's hurt somebody so deeply, God still has his eyes on you. He sees you today and he loves you, which doesn't make sense. I know some of the things that I've done. I wouldn't love me, and he loves us. That's unbelievable. Here's how the story finishes. Close out chapter 16, verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, so go in peace. But Paul replied, They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. I love Paul, by the way. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. And when Paul and Silas... Left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. Interesting. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more, and then they left town. Notice it says believers, plural. Uh, Likely, the first church in all of Europe started right there in the home of Lydia. So Paul and Silas had these unbelievable encounters with these three individuals. A church was formed, and then they, they took off. And guys, this is how the church was planted in Philippi, which is where we get the book of the Bible, of course, called Philippians. The book of Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote back to likely these very same people. It's a letter that he wrote to one of his favorite churches that he planted on one of his missionary journeys. And we can guess with confidence who some of the people in the church were. Lydia and her family, maybe the families of the other women that she was hanging out with by the river, Uh, that demon possessed slave girl would have been one of the people that he was writing to. Isn't that awesome? Possibly some of those that she had shared her story with, just like that lady in Haiti shared with her husband. And and that Roman jailer would have been one of the people, and his family, and, and likely some of, the, some of the other prisoners that stayed back, that Paul and Silas held back so that that jailer wouldn't be killed. Those are the people that Paul wrote back to. He redirected them. Uh, it was a and as church was started, it was, a, it was a church with people from all different backgrounds, all different struggles, all different gifts, kind of like our church here. That's, that's what kind of church it was. It was a beautiful mess to be used for God's kingdom. It was a beautiful mess of redirected people assembled for renewal. That was the church in Philippi. And the letter to those people, Philippians, is Paul's most joyful. Uh, it's his most joyful letter. He, he, you could tell he loved this church. And it has some of the most well-known verses in the Bible. So those of you who grew up in church have heard verses like this, uh, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And, and chapter one, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and, and chapter three, verse 12 of Philippians says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And, and finally, in chapter three, verse eight, and I, one of my all-time favorite verses, it says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And Paul loved this church, and he was proud of it. Even though, even though they were poor, they were generous. Let's look at one other passage of Scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, this was another letter that Paul wrote. Listen what he says about this church, Philippi. Uh, There's a couple of really interesting things. Paul said, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. Notice it says churches, plural. Philippi was the first. We can assume, this is amazing, that these people, people like the slave girl, people like Lydia, people like the Roman jailer had become missional because now there are churches, plural, in their region. So uh, that's just a beautiful thing. It says in verse 2, They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So a couple of things, this this church became missional, and they were generous. Even though they didn't have much, they gave what they had. We see that when God redirects us, we become generous and we become missional. I want to tell another quick story, and then the, the band here in just a minute can go ahead and start making their, their way up. Um, I've got this friend named Ross, uh, and not too long back, Ross, who's an older guy, he's probably, I don't know, maybe close to around seventy. Uh, he he told a, an amazing story. Ross said that on his wife's family side, they were having some kind of party. This was a few years ago. And his wife's uncle was there. And the guy was, you could tell, kind of a, a, a broken man in a lot of ways. He never shared about his past. And one of the big reasons for that is this guy had been a child prisoner at one of the concentration camps. I think it, I, I can't remember which one. I think it was Buchenwald. During World War II, um, he, they, they didn't know about his story. He never shared his story. It was evidently something that he tried to write out of his life. It was a horrible time, as we can imagine. And Ross said they were at this family gathering. They had never heard this guy's backstory, But uh, they served different kinds of food. And at the end, this guy took an orange. And as he was eating the orange, they could tell he just absolutely was loving this orange, and so Ross said, I asked him, uh, hey, and I can't remember the guy's name, hey, so-and-so, you seem like you really like oranges, and the guy just started weeping, and he told a story about what happened in the concentration camp. He said, you know, almost all of my friends died, and a lot of my family in that camp, they were put in the gas chambers, and the Americans came, and they liberated us but us kids didn't really know what was going on. All we knew was there was one building where if you went in there, you never came out. And as the American soldiers came in, they gathered a bunch of us kids up, and they led us to that building. And We were horrified. We didn't know what was coming, but we knew we probably weren't ever going to get out of there. We didn't know who these Americans were. And as they got closer, they were all saying some last words to each other. They were emotional. Some of them were weeping. Some of them even messed themselves. They were so scared. And as we got in, we walked through the door and there was a feast unlike anything we had ever seen. We were starving to death and there was a feast unlike anything we had ever seen. And the very first thing one of the American soldiers handed me was an orange. And I thought it tasted like heaven. I love that story sometimes it seems like God is absent or even cruel. But really, we got to believe that he's just redirecting us, sometimes in ways that are horrifying, sometimes in ways that don't make sense. He's redirecting us because he knows the whole story, and he can see the big picture when we can't. If we knew his whole plan, we might be too scared to join him in what he wants to do in our lives. But he's got something beautiful for us, something like lydia like the slave girl like this roman jailer we probably never saw coming and he's got something for you life as we follow jesus is a series of events of being redirected into what he is calling us to And the question is whether we will say yes even when it's scary even when it doesn't make sense you see we must learn to accept the presence and the absence of God at the same time. And that takes a while. That takes a lot of walking with Jesus. We've got to accept the presence and the absence of God at the same time. Sometimes He is so evident and he makes sense and sometimes it seems like he is absolutely silent. But he is God and he is for us through it all. Now, as I was putting this together, last thought, as I was putting this together, the thought struck me that one of those three individuals, Lydia, the former uh, slave girl, or the jailer may have been the one to stand up in front of that church in Philippi and read that letter of Paul. And uh, there's a side of me that just really wants to believe it was the slave girl. I don't know, but maybe she got up and read that letter. And one of the verses she would have read is Philippians 1, 6. It says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I believe that God wants to speak that word over us today as we go into a time of Selah. And we're gonna seek the Holy Spirit for the next few minutes. Many here are uncertain of something in your life, perhaps a big decision before you or an unexpected turn of events or perhaps a fear or disappointment, perhaps wondering which direction to go next. God redirects us more than once throughout our life journey but we can trust that he is completely in control and he knows what's best. The question we've gotta ask is, will we have the courage to follow him and be redirected from our objectives and desires, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense? So Lord Jesus, many of us in the room today just need courage. Some of us, it's, uh, it's clear and we're aware that we're in a season of redirection. Um, Some of us know we need to be redirected, but we're scared. And some of us are just trying to tackle life on our own. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and take control? Would you show us what it is you want to do? So just as we're quiet before you for the next few minutes, would you stir and move in this room? And we say, as we often do, come Holy Spirit. sing a little bit together so you're welcome to stand if you like you're also welcome welcome to remain seated as always we're just going to seek the holy spirit we say yes to you we say yes we say yes